I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left. They seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us this gift of grace, being saved by grace. Um, please open our hearts to pastor's message and help us to carry it through this week. Um, continue to watch over us. Keep us all safe and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing with our series, A Journey Through the Old Testament, and this is our last sermon in the small three-part series that we're focusing on uh, the Jewish people. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Israel in God's unfolding plan. Uh, we looked at the chosen people. Uh, we looked about at last week about uh, whose fault is the crucifixion. And today we're going to be looking at Israel now. How does God see them? Back in Minneapolis, when I still owned my barbershop, I had a Jewish family that would come in once every couple of months. Dr. Andrew Rezepka would come in with his wife, Laurel, and their son and daughter. And as a Christian who'd read the Bible numerous times, Jewish people had a very special place in my heart. First of all, because Jesus was Jewish, not to mention people like King David, Paul, Peter, John, and countless others whose words had greatly impacted my life. And so when the Rezepkas came into my shop, I couldn't help but feel like someone special had entered. Consequently, we had many conversations about faith, although they declared themselves to be secular Jews, not religious. But was I right in thinking that this family was somehow special because of their lineage? Maybe they weren't special at all, or maybe they were just like any other family in the world. And so this is the question we're going to be answering today, among others, this morning. Do the Jewish people still hold a special place in God's heart? Are they specifically going to be singled out in his grand unfolding plan in the end times? I'll give you a spoiler alert right away and tell you that, for me personally, I believe that the scriptures gives a resounding yes to those questions. And I'm going to lay out for you five reasons why I believe this. You can follow them right along in your bulletin, the points. First, there is the mystery of the grafted branches. In Romans 11.25, Paul states that he doesn't want the church to be unaware of a particular mystery. It is the mystery of the relationship between a partial hardening of Israel and the Gentiles being included in the gracious offer of salvation through Christ. A mystery is a secret, and in this instance... It's a secret that God wants his church to know about and to understand. Outside the body of Christ, uh, they will not understand it, but we should understand it. It's the secret about Jesus being the vine. 
But in order for branches to be grafted into that vine, other branches needed to be broken off. And the reason for this was that the message of the gospel would have never spread if it weren't for the rejection of the message by the Jews. Virtually all the initial followers of Jesus were Jewish, and their natural disposition was to only focus on the nation of Israel. It was a very internal focus. In fact, their entire religious upbringing had caused them to ask in this way. Throughout history, Israel had been a nation that was set apart for the Lord. They did not proselytize outside of their nation, but rather they were commanded by God to eliminate pagan nations, to shun them, to be separated from them, because those nations were unclean, the goyim, the Gentiles. And the only way that an individual could be included in the nation of Israel was to convert And this included circumcision of the males, acceptance of the law, and the keeping of the Jewish festivals. And so this deep-seated belief regarding separation was not only seen in practices by the disciples, but was also included in the teachings of Jesus. Listen to the way that Jesus addressed a Canaanite woman who was asking for help in regard to her demon-possessed daughter. He said, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. (laughs) Later, after Jesus ascended to the Father, it takes a vision from heaven for Peter to even consider going to a house of the Gentiles and sharing the gospel, the good news. And beyond that, he has to see with his own eyes evidence of the Spirit when they began to speak in tongues when the Spirit fell upon them. Oh, the Gentiles too! can receive this good news and the Spirit. But in the midst of this breaking off process, Paul gives the Gentile believers some instruction as to how they should think about the Jewish branches that have been severed from the vine because of their rejection of the Messiah. In Romans eleven seventeen through 18, he says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, the Jewish people. And so we must always remember that we are not naturally disposed to faith like the natural branches are. That's why they're natural, and that's why we're wild. And Paul's heart was always longing to see those branches grafted back in to Jesus, the true vine. One of the reasons for this was seen back in verse 15. He says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, so the Gentiles are now included, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the Jewish people do not continue in their unbelief, but instead are grafted back into the vine, Jesus, they bring a special kind of life to the church. They carry with them a great number of benefits, which Paul lays out in Romans 3.2. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And then in Romans 9.4, he goes on to say, To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And so Orthodox Judaism is much more inclined 
to accept Jesus as the Messiah than, say, for instance, Islam or Hinduism. Because it contains right in its teachings and festivals all the clues that point to the truth. And we've been talking about this over the last number of weeks. And so first of all, they are still special because of their cultural and religious history. Second, we see a mystery of the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. The reestablishment of the nation of Israel after almost 2,300 years of being ruled over by conquering kingdoms is one of the greatest political miracles in the history of the world. Alexander the Great conquered Palestine in 332 B.C., and subsequently, a long list of powers followed suit in the centuries to follow. These included the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantine Empire, the Muslim Caliphate, and the Ottoman Empire. But a great shift occurred in 1917 at the height of, the world, of world War I, when British Foreign Secretary Arthur James Balfour submitted a letter of intent supporting the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. It was known as the Balfour Declaration. After the Ottoman Empire was defeated in World War I, the British took possession of Palestine. And this mandate was approved by the League of Nations in 1922. But it was met with much resistance from the Arabs in the area. <laughs> you know, likely, right? Because they knew that a Jewish homeland would result in the subjugation of Palestinian Arabs and give them a position there in the Middle East. And so it wasn't until 1948 that this plan was finally realized. And there are many miraculous aspects to this, but I'm just going to focus on one for the sake of time. In 1967, there was a conflict between Israel and the surrounding Arab nations of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. At the culmination of this war, Israel took full control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. And the first miracle is that they were outnumbered two to one. Also, they had half the tanks as their oppressors, and they were at the quarter of the um, amount of air force. And not only did they capture Jerusalem, but they also tripled the land that they had control of in Israel there in this war. And Israel knew that war was inevitable, and so they decided to strike first with their aircraft. They sent out a bombing mission uh, to take out the Egyptian planes. But the, Jord uh, the Jordan's um, military and their intelligence had received information about this bombing, and so they sent out uh, a decoded message to Egypt. Watch out, they're coming to bomb your planes. But one of the miraculous things is that they never received that message. It got lost in the, they had changed their decoding uh, system somehow, and so they never received the message. And by the end of that day, uh, the Egyptian Air Force was half destroyed. And by the end of that same day as well, two-thirds of the Syrian Air Force and most of the Jordanian Air Force had been destroyed. And so Israel sent out ground troops into the Sinai Peninsula, and they were readying for attack on a well-armed uh, military outpost named uh, Kusama. 
And having successfully routed a defending military uh, infantry division beforehand, they arrived at the outpost and they heard all these explosions taking place inside the outpost. They hadn't sent any bombs in. But what was happening was the Egyptians were scared and they started blowing up their own equipment. And then they retreated. These are just two examples of the numerous similar outcomes that I could talk about for the rest of my sermon here. But the main issue is that God had already determined in his word that Israel would be reestablished as a physical nation. In Ezekiel 36, 24, God states, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Now some might say, well, Pastor Scott, that's talking about the regathering after Babylon. But then we must consider Isaiah 11, 1 through 12, that speaks about two regatherings. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shinar, and Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersion of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so the Jewish people are special because God has miraculously caused them to be reestablished in this land that he originally promised to their father, Abraham. Next we see the mystery of Jacob's trouble. We must consider why God has determined to bring this nation back together from the four corners of the earth. Back in the late 1990s, it was fashionable in churches to focus on the nation of Israel. Uh, there were Christian messianic conferences, um, a surge in Christ, uh, Jewish-style Christian music was seen, um, many churches had Passover dinners. But one of the biggest impacts seen on the nation of Israel uh, itself by a great number of Christians was in supporting the return of Jews to the Holy Land, especially from Russia. This return is called making Aliyah. And the partial reason behind this support from churches in making Aliyah was actually somewhat self-serving. Many Christians believe that because Israel is seen as central in the end times, if they help get all these Jews back to the homeland, it will speed up the end times, the second coming. Now, as strange as that might seem, there is some biblical precedent to consider. In Jeremiah 37, we see a prophecy that's considered by most biblical scholars to be talking about the end times. It reads, Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. In verse 11 of that same uh, chapter, God declares that this will be a time of discipline for Israel, a time of distress that's commonly known as Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. Jesus talked about it to his disciples in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. He said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And so the main message there is that there's a hardening of the Jews in order that the full number of Gentiles can come to Christ. But God is not finished yet 
with the Jews as a nation. But the big problem in dealing with the Jewish people is that most are continuing on in rebellion. And he has to draw them back somehow. Listen to Romans 9, 20-23 in regards to the broken off branches. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of the Lord. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. This, I believe, is the first purpose of the regathering of the Jews as a nation. Just as in the Old Testament, Israel experienced both the blessing of God and his discipline. So too, during this time of Jacob's trouble, many will turn back to God in distress, and he will graft them back into the true vine, Jesus. But there's also a second greater purpose for this special regathering, and it is talking about the mystery of the Antichrist. In biblical passage about the end times, there's a central figure that's going to arise on the world stage. He's called many things, the Antichrist, the Beast, or the Man of Lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 uh, through 4 describe him. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the Man of Lawlessness is revealed, the Son of Destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his place in the seat of the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Some believe, because of this verse, that there will be a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus also spoke about this event in Matthew 24, 15. He said, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That description given by Daniel talks about one who will make a covenant with many and then will break that covenant. Many scholars say that that covenant is with Israel and will last three and a half years before he breaks the covenant and reveals his true nature. His whole purpose is deception so that he might inflict pain upon Israel and Christians as a whole. We see this in Revelation 21, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, 12, 1 through 5. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun with her moon under, the feet, under, her, under her feet. And on her head was a crown of 12 stars. We know that's Israel. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, we believe that's angels, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she bore her child that he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I believe that's Jesus. Now, Satan is mad because of the resurrection of Jesus here, 
And so he decides to make war on Israel. We see this in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who gave birth to the male child. Where did Jesus come from? He came from Israel, right? And so now Satan is mad, the great dragon, that his plan was foiled in regard to Jesus, and he's been cast down, and so he starts chasing after the woman, Israel. And so the second purpose for reestablishing Israel is so that God may deal once and for all with the devil. Satan has been attacking God's children since the very beginning of creation. But finally in the end times, when Jesus returns in the clouds, according to Zechariah 14.4, he touches down on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to destroy the deception of Satan against his people. Finally, we see a mystery of the covenant. God made a covenant with the Jewish people, and that makes them special. He made covenants with Abraham, Moses, and David. And we see this mystery in Romans 11, 28 through 31. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable. But just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. And so the question is, how does mercy come to the people of Israel? Do all the Jews throughout history automatically have salvation because of God's covenants with their forefathers? Well, that depends on which Jews you are talking about. Because Paul makes a distinction in Romans 9, 6 through 8. He says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, meaning the covenants or what happened to Israel here. For not all who are descendant from Israel belong to Israel. And not all children of Abraham, because of... uh, I'm sorry? And not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The children of the flesh are the Jewish people genetically. The children of the promise are the spiritual children. They are the true Israel. They're the remnant that God talks about when he's talking with Elijah about the 7,000 that were reserved for him. He had this remnant that had not bowed the knee to Baal. These are righteous Jews who have been saved by Christ combined with the Gentiles who have been grafted into the vine. And so God's covenant here stands firm and true to the spiritual Israel. In conclusion, this, I know this is a lot, okay? I'm, I'm sitting here like, okay, this is a lot. Of, this is like the fire hose thing, right? So here's some things I think that we can think about in regard to the Jewish people. And by the way, this is probably one of the toughest um, doctrines that I've had to get my mind around. Because there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people that have different views on this. And by the way, if you're one of them, that's totally fine. This is a lower tier issue in my regard. And so you can disagree with me on any of these things about the end times or the Jews or where they fall. 
But I think there are some points that we can all agree on in regard to Israel. How do we respond to them? I'd like to order, uh, offer four quick suggestions. First, pray for the peace of Jerusalem that comes through Christ. We have to nurture a desire to see the people of um, Israel come to Jesus because he's the only way of salvation. No one will come to Christ or to eternal life without Christ. You have to believe in Jesus. And so he's the only way for the Jewish people to come. And this might include supporting ministries that do minister to Jewish people. Jews for Jesus. There's, there's many different um, ministries out there that do minister to the Jewish people. Actually, some of them are in Israel. They can't do it directly because there's no proselytizing in Israel allowed legally, so they do other things. Second, recognize that just because the Jewish people are special in God's eyes, that does not make everything they do right. This is important. Israel has made some major mistakes as a country. And just because they're God's chosen people doesn't mean we put the rubber stamp on everything that they do. America supports Israel not because they're God's chosen people. They support Israel because they're democratic. They're a free trade society. They fight against terrorism. And so that's the main reason. Also, make efforts to connect and learn about Jewish people in regard to Christianity. There's so much Jewish history that we lose, I think, in regard to Christianity because we do not accept it into our Christian realm. We have more knowledge about Halloween than we do Passover or Pentecost. Or we might uh, skew the view of Jesus by, for instance, creating pictures in the Renaissance of him as a blue-eyed white person, right? instead of the Jewish man that he was. And if you are not Jewish by blood, thank God that he has grafted you, a wild olive branch, into the vine so that you might be part of spiritual Israel. If anybody has any questions or anything that they want to talk to me about, I have an open-door policy. Come stop by, call, see me in the office. I'd love to talk to you about this stuff. But as a congregation, I think it's important for us to understand the Jewish people, understand how we relate to them, and how we are grafted in. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Jewish people, how you chose them to bring about uh, the birth of your son, the covenants, the scriptures, so many things and benefits that we receive. Lord, help us to understand them better, if there's ways that you want us to reach out to Jewish people in our area uh, with your gospel message, I pray that you would encourage us in that. If we have friends that are Jewish, Lord, help us to know how to talk to them about their Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.